Thanks, Jen. So I'm back again from last week. <laughs> if those who saw me, it's good to be back again. And we're continuing um, just delving into the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew's Gospel as part of our, le- our lectionary in this season of ordinary time. But it's not very ordinary, really, is it? <laughs> Every time I think about that. Um, and we picking up, if you remember last week, you know, there, Jesus is kind of stirring it up a bit now with, with the religious establishment. Um, and then he, he f- does the feeding of the 4,000 and has another kind of interaction with uh, the Pharisees um, and, and gets away. And so this very first verse, I think it's always important to get a sense of location and movement and where this is happening. And so it says in verse 13, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea and Philippi. So Caesar Philippi is really far north of, of Israel, way at the north. Um, and it's probably, they say, one of the most northerly places that Jesus ever went. So you kind of have sort of Jerusalem at the kind of bottom bit, and then you, have Gal- then you have Samaria in the middle, then you have Galilee quite north, and he went even further north. And Galilee was kind of his home, really. This is where his disciples, all of his disciples came from. A lot of synagogues, lots of interesting things going on there. And it was this probably his familiarity. Israel, uh, Jerusalem was probably a bit of a love-hate relationship going on there. Samaria, we know about that, that in-between place. And so in some ways, Jesus, it was, they say it was about two or three miles walk, so away from a lot of stuff that was happening, lots of miracles as we've been reading up until now in the Gospel of Matthew, lots of interactions with the religious establishment, and things were getting a bit heated, and Jesus brought these disciples up to this unfamiliar place, away from the hustle bustle of Galilee, and away from the religious center of Jerusalem. And Caesar Philippi kind of has a very strong Greek and Roman culture. So they say this is where the Greek god Pan had his sort of altars and, and things like that. So very strong kind of Greek culture there. And also one of Herod's son who owned this district um, was very much all about appeasing the Roman Empire. And so he named this town um, after Caesar himself. So we've got a very lot of Roman culture, a lot of Greek culture, not probably too many um, local people that d- d- disciples would know. It's an unfamiliar place. Um, and like us spiritually, or like us in reality, coming to church still can feel a bit unfamiliar. But it's amazing that Jesus purposely brought these, his disciples, his friends, to an unfamiliar place. And this pandemic is a very unfamiliar place. And it's so encouraged to know that Jesus is still with us in this unfamiliar time. And not only that, he wants to use this time to reveal some deep things, reveal deep things about who he is, and to reveal deep things about the church. And that's kind of what we, we see in this passage. And I want to kind of suggest two things that we can look at, basically Jesus and the church. So it's always those two things on a Sunday, really. Um, but Jesus is trying to get the disciples to think about Jesus is more than who you think he is, and church is more than you think it is. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, probably about eight years ago or something, there was a Guinness ads of called Made of More and they had different kind of things. So they had the cloud, and the cloud was made of more. It wasn't just an ordinary cloud, and see this cloud drifting into a city like New York. And the cloud had personality, it was wa- watching people. And then the cloud, when there was a fire, and the firemen were trying to, to, to dampen out this fire, the cloud comes over and rains in it to dampen down the fire. And the kind of tagline is, you know, the cloud was made of more, and then Guinness made of more. And uh, there was another one, I think, of a clock. I don't remember, this was like a medieval town, and the clock 
it was the sort of town clock, the, the watchtower clock, and it would just tell the time, but it didn't just tell the time. It was able to slow time down when things were good, and he had the cobbler really boring, cobbling away boring, and he was able to speed time up to make the boring things go quickly and slow things down and reverse things. So again, the clock was made of more. And I was just thinking even that kind of phrase to think about with Jesus and with the church. Is that we can sometimes just sort of think, ah, oh, Jesus, ah, oh, church. And in this moment, in this unfamiliar place, he wanted to have a conversation with the disciples to say, look, Jesus, I am made of more than you think I am. And this church thing that I want to introduce, this new community is made of more. So we pick up Jesus asking this question to his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, and others said Elijah, and still others think Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, who, who do you say that I am? So who is Jesus? Who do people say that he is? Um, in our culture, who, who, when we think about Jesus what, in 21st century Ireland, what are the things that come to mind? Um, you know, some of the, the top historians will recognize that Jesus was one of the most influential historical figures ever. Um, Tom Holland, a, a great um, history writer that I love to read, you know, he wrote a recent book all about the influence that Jesus brought and how it counteracted a lot of the Greek culture and all that spin-offs of that. Many historians say that. Um, some people see him obviously as a religious figure. I think in our culture he's kind of more like a magical kind of historical figure. There's millions of people use his name as a curse, millions of people use his name to pray. There's a mixture of kind of the, the sacred heart picture on the wall in many Irish homes. And Homer Simpson describing Jesus as Jebus. It's this kind of weird culture we live in about Jesus. But I think this kind of familiarity of that people think they know about Jesus leads into an unfamiliarity about Jesus. And it can lead, lead into a sense of deafness and awkwardness and I think like for us, it's just to try and encourage ourselves because we live in this culture as well that we can kind of take Jesus for granted or think Jesus is just this and never really get a sense that actually Jesus is, is made of more. He's more than we could ever imagine or think. At least in the disciples' culture, he was, Jesus was seen as a prophet. Um, that's a good starting point, I think, for a lot of people I know. They don't really get Jesus, but at least we can say he was someone that wanted to counteractor, he was very counterculturally, he wanted to take on the re religious and political establishment of the day. Um, that's pretty cool to think that Jesus is that, but he was made of more than that. So then he asks this killer question in verse 15, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And it's such a question, because I love it so personal, we can sometimes answer our own cultural questions ourselves. Oh yeah, Jesus, or the right answer. The right answer in Sunday school is always Jesus. <laughs> um, but really, who do you personally say is Jesus for you? And not just abstractly, not just theologically right, but what is he to you in your day-to-day -day life? Does he have any impact, any relevance to you? And what Peter said was the truth, but in some ways it was still a partial truth. I think he was still thinking, and this was pretty provocative, that this was the king now. We've seen enough here. He is going to, we're really far up north. Maybe this is the time now we're going to start sweeping down into, into Galilee and then take on Jerusalem and the, 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 the Caesar, um, Caesar and the Roman emperor and everything. This is going to be full on now, but I'm going to 
say, yeah, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the promised king. This was before Jesus' crucifixion. This was before Jesus' resurrection. This was before Jesus' ascension. This was before Jesus' Pentecost and the spirit released everywhere. And yet there was still some truth to this. But I would want to say, like, there is layers to Jesus. In fact, there is just infinite breadth of who Jesus is, and there's infinite depth, depth of who Jesus is. There's an unwrapping, there's a revealing, um, like a, a game of pass the parcel. My mum used to love putting in a little present after each wrap. So I used to go to pass the parcel games when I was younger, and it was just like, it, oh, it's just another, new, another kind of... Uh, wrapping to take off and we have to pass it around again but my mum used to pull a little little sweet in each each wrap so it was, you always got some little treasure when you unwrapped it you always opened up yeah there's something there the big prize was at the end but you got little things like this and i love in colossians peter saying this you know you know in christ in jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of god it's there's treasure there there's depth there there's breath there and it's interesting because Jesus says, Peter, this revelation that you have, you didn't make this up, but this wasn't through good theological, going to theological college or spending loads of time with this. This was revealed to you by my Father, this revelation. This revelation of this mystery. And as I think, yeah, Richard Rohr talks about mystery as not something that you don't know, because we often think that's mystery. We just don't know it. But he says mystery is endless knowability. So there's just depth to it and breadth to it. And for me, some of the things I've been thinking about, the breadth of Jesus, there's these kind of tensions even in this passage. Jesus is interested, calls himself the Son of Man, while Peter calls him the Son of God. And that kind of tension that, that we're trying to work out, God, Jesus fully human and Jesus fully God. We read later on this heaven and earth, heaven and earth, you know, if you do this in heaven, if you do this on earth, these kind of tensions. One of the things I find with the breath of Jesus is that he's the great reconciler. He's the great harmonizer. I think it, he's the great one that integrates all these things. The more I begin to realize that life, healthy life, is all about integration. Death ultimately is disintegration of our bodies, disintegrating from the people we love socially. I think all good theology is able to hold and integrate these seeming opposites of Jesus fully God, Jesus fully man, God's will, man's will, grace, faith, works, all these things. And I think all good spirituality is able to assimilate and sit in those tensions. I think when theology loses the tension of something, you know it's something off balance. We have to sit and hold into those tensions. People, left brain, right brain, Many of us just are one way or another. One of, some of us are very right, right brain and very artistic and see bigger pictures. Some of us are very left brain and see the, the small uh, mathematical things, um, very cognitive. Or some of us love living in, in our head and that's our natural default, but yet our body is screaming out for attention and we don't see it. Some of us live in our cognitions and yet we, we don't quite get our emotions. Some of us live in our emotions but don't get quite our cognitions. And Jesus actually wants us to bring a kind of reconciling, a harmony through all these aspects of the human soul. I think when I think about the salvation of our souls, the healing of our souls, the brokenness of our hearts, is bringing these separate parts that we kind of live out of, whether it's just quirks of our personality or whether it's brokenness from our past that isn't quite integrated into our present, which packs us into our future, whether it's relationships that are broken and separated. Jesus' his breath is that he wants to reconcile all these things. And if you read in Colossians, it talks about 
all things, whether are things in heaven or things on earth, Jesus wants to reconcile, to integrate these things. Or another metaphor in the message she uses, instead of reconciling, Eugene Peterson uses harmonizing. Like you might see me play piano, I'm not, I'm not that good, but I think what a harmony is, 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 is the third sound. So we've got one note, which is a sound, I'm looking over Gina, you've got a second note, which is a different sound, but when you combine the two sounds together, you get this beautiful harmony sound, this third sound. So then when we've got our sound of our lives, the good and the bad, the brokenness, the distortions, uh, the quirks, we've got our brokenness, and we've got our weakness, and we've got Jesus' sound of grace and love and truth. Um, I think that sound rings even beautiful in harmony when it harmonizes with our own weaknesses. I don't know about you, when you can worship in pain, that is a beautiful sound. When you can have a sense of... I don't know what's going on, a sense of loss, and yet you can still hold that, you don't suppress it, but also feel a sense of being found by Jesus. And those two senses together bring this beautiful harmony, this beautiful harmonizing of our lives. It's awful sometimes when we feel we have to kind of ignore or suppress those hurts or suppress those passes, that we give them to Christ, we give them to Jesus. And in his sound of beauty and goodness, there is a third sound that we can live out into that harmony. I was reading a book, uh, Christian author Ellis Potter, and he, he quotes probably one of the most fam- well-known nursery rhymes. Do you think, what do you think of the most well-known nursery rhyme is? Humpty Dumpty. It's, it's Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty. This is the most tragic nursery rhyme there is, because it's missing one line. For us, sometimes we can fall off our wall, but Jesus, the great reconciler on his cross, he's bringing these things together, all our past or future. And we fall off the wall and all the king's horses, all the things out there that we're trying to help to bring together, all the king's men just couldn't do it. I think this is what Jesus' disciples are living to, but there's one line that says, but the king could. The king could bring these things together. So all these king's horses and all these king's men couldn't put empty together again, but the king could. As well as the breath of Jesus that Simon's picking up on, Simon Peter, he's also picking on the depth of Jesus, the intimate companionship and guide of the great shepherd. Again, another attention, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. He says that when he's leaving his disciples, but he also says, and I will never leave you or forsake you. So again, this tension. I'm going to leave you physically, but I'm going to never leave you spiritually. Something about the human presence is a very mysterious thing that we almost take for granted. For many of us, we've probably experienced this, that we've had loved ones who, through mental illness, through dementia, that they're physically there, but they're not there. That they're, they're there, but their presence, the personality, what we know, aren't quite there. Or we know of our loved ones who've passed away or are living in a different country, but we can still sense their presence with us. It's quite a mysterious thing. I think this is what was probably what the disciples, they had this f- great friend and great teacher that, that left them, and yet their presence, his presence was so there. And I think for us, we have to again ask this question, who do I say Jesus is for me personally? The depth of that. Um, a writer, Cynthia Bourgeau, wrote this. In all the Gospels, all the people who encounter Jesus only by hearsay or by what somebody else believed about him, or by what they'd been told, by what they'd hoped to get out of him, all those people, at the end of the day, they left. 
And I think as I journey on with this, I, the people, some of my friends or family who are struggling with their faith, part of it maybe is that they haven't kept pursuing Jesus into the depths of their own lives and integrating him into all the aspects of their lives. But the ones that remain, she goes on, and still remain, are the ones who have met Christ in the moment, in the instantaneous mutual recognition of hearts, that presence, and that ultimate energy that's always pouring forth treasure and wisdom. Jesus is made of more, his breath and his depth. Going to verse 18, then he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The first thing to notice about this is that the word church, it's the first time the word church is mentioned in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it's a kind of, it was a word that they would have known. It, it kind of means an assembly of people, not quite a political assembly that the Greeks would have known about, not quite a religious assembly that the Jews would have about, but it's still not just a random group of people meeting spontaneously. It's a sort of sense of a group of people meeting up for a purpose. Maybe we think about it as like a community group now or something. So Jesus is saying, I want to, I'm building something new here. I'm going to build a community. We're way up in this godforsaken, isolated place away from our familiarities, and I just want to let you know we're going to build something that's going to last a long time. I'm going to build my church. So then he says this, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. So thousands of years of debate, theological, what is this rock? Who is this rock? What is this rock? And there's three kind of, I think if we had video evidence, it would have been really easy if, Peter, if Jesus sort of pointed to Peter on this rock, that would have been much easier. Or if he said, you know, on this rock and pointed to himself, or if he said what he just said on this rock. And they're the kind of three options that most theologians have come up with. One is that Peter, because his name kind of means rock, it means a little rock. And if you look at his history, he is one of the leaders of the church. And um, we, we see that from Acts, he was the one that stood up in Acts 2. He's the one that, um, for the f- most of the first half of Acts, he's the one that le- is leading the show. We read that Matthew's gospel is pretty much all about his eyewitnesses. You can read the gospel, it's pretty much all about Peter as well as Jesus. Um, you know, so he's incredibly influential as a leader of the church, no doubt about it. Um, but then, you know, when the Reformation came, they got a bit freaked out because this was kind of like the, the Pope and then Peter's the Pope and then he's inerrant and, and, and that's not true and they got very frustrated with that. So then they tried to find ways around this passage. So they said, well, look, if you look at the Greek, you know, there's rock and there's two different words, but they kind of forgot that at the end of the day this was probably spoken in Aramaic. Um, and it's okay because Scott's speaking next week where, Peter, where Jesus calls Peter Satan. So I think that balances it out as well. Um, but, but there's something about Peter, and they're figuring out, is, is Jesus call, talking about, is Peter the foundation of this church? Or another option, it's not Peter per se, but it's the confession, just the things I talked about, the, the idea, the truth of the breadth and depth of jo- Jesus. If you don't have that, what's the point of meeting to church? Sometimes in my struggles with church, I go to church because of Jesus, um, because he set this up, and he says this is good for me, and sometimes I forget that I go anyway, um, and it's important. Um, so maybe it's that, and that would help because that would stake, stop Peter from getting too big in his, his boots and it kind of keeps everyone focused. Or to say, no, look, we're missing the point altogether. Again, we're forgetting that Jesus is the rock. You know, of course. And again, that's probably the right answer. And there's a lot of kind of scriptures talking about Jesus being the stone, the cornerstone. So which one of those three is it? And I'm going to kind of um, 
do the classic what I do, is a bit of all three, and that makes sense. You know, because Peter, I think we have to realize the church, we almost forget this, is about people and infallible people. That's where I probably would disagree um, with certain ideas. You know, Peter, as I, as I was going to say, like, he, Jesus, he's this amazing man in this moment, and then the next passage down, Jesus is saying, you're, you're picking up stuff from Satan. We know he denies people. You know, he, he, he has these amazing moments of, of seeing Gentiles getting the Spirit of God, but yet he still had issues with, with Gentiles as well. Um, he wasn't perfect, but at the end of the day, he was so foundational to the church, and we have to remember that. And that for us today, we have to remember that people in our church, the leadership team, Rob, are so important. They are the foundation of our church at one level. And we have to realize that, look after Rob and, and Dillis and the family and, 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 and the other leaders in our, in our community. But also remember that we individuals can be leaders in our church as well, and we can, can grow in that. Also, of course, the reality of the confession. You know, we need to be part if we want to be part of this community of church, we need to continue seeking out those depths and those breaths of Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself, without Jesus, he's both, he says he's the builder of the church, and of course, he's, I see him as the foundation of church. Without him, I think we can oscillate between two pendulums of pride. Aren't we great? We're building this great church. We've got the Lord Mayor saying we're great, or we can fear no one's turning up to church. Oh no, what are we doing wrong? But really, at the same time, that's kind of a put man at the center, put human at the center. But Jesus says, you know, I will build my church. So despite our pandemics, despite, despite the cruelty of toxic religion that many of us have experienced or know about, despite the power and the lure of secularism, Jesus is the foundation and the builder of this church. So as we close, let's just think of Jesus and the church. Um, and I just pray that, Jesus, for all of us, that you would help us to realize afresh that you are made of more, Jesus, more than what we experienced yesterday, that you have more things to show us today about you. I pray for people who feel stretched or feel broken or dislocated. I pray, Jesus, that your healing touch, the great reconciler, the great harmonizer, would come now and in our, kind of dis, in our kind of awful state we are sometimes, that you're, you're, you would harmonize that. Our, in our weaknesses, your strength would come and they're a beautiful song. And I pray we'd be open to that, to sing our song, our brokenness song, to allow you to sing with that. I pray for that we would see that church is made of more. And in these times, difficult times of pandemic, we're trying to figure that out. Reveal to us the role that we take as humans, forget the role it takes to have good truth and most of all that we continue to rely on you and seek your guidance for this church this local church and holy trinity people without vision perish and i pray that you give us fresh vision today that jesus you are made of more and this church is made of more amen <laughs>